there are just so many parallels back in history. What you, you were scared of the printing press. Yeah, I mean, like, like looking back, that's so pathetic. You wanted to talk about the writer's strike. I do. I would like to talk about the writer's strike. This is something that is kind of near and dear to my heart. As a person that is um, generally super supportive of unions, I've been in some unions. I've seen that there is things that are both positive and negative about being in a union, but for creative people, it seems particularly important. I love seeing people strike. <laughs> I just, it just brings joy to my heart as like a, as like a, a spiritual anti-capitalist. Um, and, but what I think is interesting and why I think it bookends really well with what we do here at Team Futurism is that it, I think it touches on two things that are, one thing that has, is futurism that has come to pass and another uh, that is the ghost of futurism's future. Yeah. Uh, one is streaming services and how they have changed the landscape of art. And I think that goes for both vi visual and audio art forms. Um, but in particular, this is the Writers Guild strike, and we're going to talk about the video aspect of that. Um, from what I understand, I've seen that one of the big reasons that they're striking is because there is no such thing as residual income anymore off of a writing job, right? So if you take a writing job at Netflix, you help them write a 12 you know, a 12 episode series, they're going to pay you an amount of money for that. And in traditional, uh, you know, broadcast format, it would have been, um, you would have been getting residuals when that show went into syndication, which mm -hmm. would be as, you know, a couple of years later, it's not on the air anymore, but they air it on some kind of auxiliary, uh, cable channel or something. And you get paid, you know, whatever, like a nominal amount of money every time that episode airs that you helped it to write. But that's not, the way that the streaming services are structuring their deals anymore, they're structuring it to where they're paying a flat fee and they're just kind of like, and streaming services aren't transparent about the amount of people that are watching the shows, either to the people creating those shows, including the actors, the artists, the writers, anybody involved. Like it's pretty, it's pretty like, uh, it's pretty opaque the way that they're collecting money the, from this stuff. The streaming services completely did change the game because yeah, yeah they restructured those contracts you're totally right. And then all of a sudden the studios were in a different position. And that's kind of partly why we are where we are right now. Cause they're like, wait, the streaming services don't have to pay that much for all this. I, yeah. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I have, oh, I, cool. I want to I play a Scott Galloway clip here in a second. Okay. He's going to, he's going to be a little flame thrower that we can respond to. Great. He has like a, an ultra hot take on this, I think in my, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, one of my thoughts though, just to get my generalities out of the way here, I think that writers have always gotten the short end of the stick in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They always will. And that's just something that I is, I think partly I'm going to, I'm going to like blame the audience here <laughs> and I'm going to blame culture at large because, you know, when, when you see a movie advertised, it's all about the face of the actor or actress. You know, that's, that is too, what is selling true. tickets. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you're going to go see this movie and I'm guilty of this. I'm going to be like, wait, Brad Pitt's in this. It's probably a pretty good movie, right? Like he's not going to be in that shitty of a movie. It's probably like too default, true, yeah. default. That's going to be true. Right. Yeah. Then you're like director. Oh shit. Martin Scorsese directed this. I'll, I'll go see that. I don't really care who's in it. I don't care who yeah. wrote it. Whatever. It's, yeah. it's a Scorsese film. It's probably pretty good. Right. Mm -hmm. 
that. Who, other than me, because I actually do this guy write screenplays, who other than like literal screenwriters are like, oh my God, that was written by like J.J. Abrams. I'm going to go see that. Literally nobody. So, so <laughs> that. Oh my is, God, it's a Nolan Finkelstein. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the cultural problem. And it's what Hollywood knows and no one wants to talk about is no one gives a fuck who wrote the thing. Unless, yeah. unless you're like a, a writer director, like the, the Coen brothers, this is where we almost right. need a cultural shift, which we're shifting away from this. But like, imagine a world where writers were the paramount superhero of the, the film industry where mm -hmm. like we did grow up saying like the first credit on any movie is written by so-and-so. And then like the first right. thing that, that drops in terms of the promotion is an interview of that writer. And they talk about like oh, wow. where it comes from. I mean, there is a way to, to actually shift the culture that people cared about who wrote the thing. That's not happening. And it's probably not going to happen. That is what would need to happen to really fundamentally address the ultimate fact that this particular writer's strike aside, writers do historically and always will get the short end of the stick. I, I think that that's a broader thing. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you, do you think that I'm seeing that correctly? Yeah. I mean, the only thing complicated about that is the way that scripts are sold, which is like, you know, uh, scripts can just be sold and then rewritten and the writer that rewrites the script is the one that ends up with their name on the script so like that's kind of a convoluted uh process that scripts sometimes go through to get to their final iteration which would could which sometimes robs the initial writer of that all of is the credit in general totally true in my culturally shifted world that wouldn't happen because you yeah, would, that would be... wrote it, and you wouldn't see it if some <laughs> like no-name script doctor came in and doctored right. it, and that would be a scandal in my world. Oh, if, like, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't show who the real writer was. That would be a scandal, and it would be Sick. all over the Hollywood Reporter. This is this is my it. fantasy. <laughs> I love it, and and Peter, happening, and Peter, just for the, it, just for the audience, uh, what is uh, remind us what you do as a creative? I mean, I'm a I'm a writer. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, like so, this hits me personally. So in, this, yes. in this utopian world that you've that you've constructed. <laughs> where do you fit in? <laughs> I I have sold some screenplays. You know? I, I I've uh, I've worked with some producers, I've sold some screenplays, not in any like big level, but I've made, you know, some Yeah, for our for our forty five audience members, please go uh please go check out Peter's work. It's phenomenal. Both his print his work in print and his his screenplays. Also, we made a movie together. Man, Peter's Peter's a fully he's he's left the nest, guys. He's flying on his own two wings. <laughs> That was a bit of a of a teaser, but I absolutely want to have a full episode where we talk about our movie because we made a movie together. It does, and it's feature film, and it is it it is a futurist movie. It holds um, up too. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's like it's literally a no budget it, film. So it, it hold, hold up your expectations. Fuck, but. It it holds up. It's like two years old. It fucking better hold up still. <laughs> it seems like it was a long time ago. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot here. Pivot. Um, I wanna I wanna play a clip, incidentally right. from the Pivot podcast. This is uh, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Do you listen to them? I forget. Mm -mm. You don't. Okay, so I'm gonna play a clip. This is Scott Galloway. Um, he's going to rant for about two minutes. He's going to say some things that 
that this was a couple of weeks ago that this dropped and it upset a fuck ton of people. Everyone on Twitter was like raging at him, you know, especially like the, the writers. So I want to, this is going to be a little bit insulting and it, it is good. And he might be utterly right. So I want to, I want to get your takes. Okay, here we go. This is a dream come true for the studios and enforce multilateral pause in spending as they recalibrate and have cloud cover to come back with fewer employees. The union here, the writers union has so badly miscalculated the power dynamic here. And and this the studios are gonna slowly but surely, quietly, they are going to break their backs. And this is going to end really poorly for the writers. It's going to end. Re- it, I can't. It's, it's almost it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that the studio mm-hmm. heads got together and said, piss off and upset the writers union. So they go on strike mm-hmm. and force all of us to stop spending and producing yeah. content because every individual is like, I got eight shows I haven't gotten to yet that I'd like to that mm-hmm. I'd like to watch. So mm-hmm. this is going to be remnant. This is the information age coal miner strike in the UK. It's going to end really poorly for the riders. They are totally, and all this virtue signaling with stars that make 10 and $20 million a year showing up and pretending that they stand with their brothers and sisters. I just think it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. You're going to see this union come back to the table and the studios are going to just do what used to happen to me when I was trying to raise money through the 90s with VCs. They're going to mm-hmm. grin fuck them. They're going to say, that's interesting. Writers are really important to us. We should keep talking mm-hmm. and they're going to do nothing. And then mm-hmm. when a bunch of the, the writers that are going to be replaced by AI anyways start thinking, I can't pay my rent and start pre- putting pressure on the union to settle, the mm-hmm. union's going to end up with a worse deal than they had going into this. And I agree with you. I, I was uh, A bunch of uh, writers and actors have written me and I'm like, I think you're, I don't think you have leverage here. Damn. Uh, he could be right. I mean, I don't have enough of an insider kind of view on the industry to know whether he's right or not, but mm-hmm. I could sense that I could sense that being right. I mean, it's not like our it's not like capitalism is like slowly sliding towards equity. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? It's like, exactly. Yeah. Like I was just talking with a friend of mine the other day who works for a law firm. And he's like a legal aid. And uh, and I was like, well, what's your what's the situation with like AI? I would imagine that, you know, being a legal aid and probably even really being a lawyer in the next 20 years is going to become relatively obsolete because it's procedural. It's not like Mm -hmm. it's it's not like there's no there's no artistic flair to it. Well, I mean, to some stuff there is. But and he was like, oh, we already use chat GPT. We like use it for like analyzing contracts and stuff. And I was he's I was like, oh, shit. So the writing's already on the wall for your job. And it's only a matter of time before lawyers, too. And like, unfortunately, man, it, like some of the AI art that I've seen and some of the stuff, the prose that I've read, I'm like, it, it's not that good yet, but it's so mm-hmm. new. It's going to be able to synthesize ideas that are going to kind of tickle parts of us that like only generational talents were able to touch on before, I think, unfortunately. And um, I mean, maybe fortunately for the for the entertainer, you know, or for the entertained, I should say. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I could totally I've heard that. Uh, that's the second time I've heard that take where they're like, oh, the studios are stoked about this. Mm-hmm. They're 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 thrilled because they don't actually need they don't need people to keep writing shows. They've got a ton of this stuff already in the barrel and they could use a little break and. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder what the I you know I should have done a little more research. I wonder what they're asking for. I wonder what the writers are actually asking for. Do you know? 
They're, they're, I mean, broadly it's more money, but the, the interesting note is that they want to always receive credit. They want mm. the byline and they want the credit, even mm. if AI did the first draft or the final edit or oh. any, if, if any AI was like AI, they do, do, they do not want AI to receive Have credit. credit. <clears throat> right. Totally makes sense. Like I, I, I totally get it. I mean, I do think this is a little bit like, we have to lean into this technology as, as artists, I think. Yeah. Like, think like so Grimes too. is doing, I mean, Grimes is making yeah. it so that like, you know, anybody can use her voice to make a song and she just like gets 50% credit. If the song right. makes any money, that's like the, the deal that she's making. That's what writers have to do. I think writers are prepared to do this. And I think that, that, that we're like, at least the younger ones of us are probably excited to do that sort of a thing. Mm. But it's, it's the people who are right now in a situation like writers in Hollywood where it's your day job easy for me yeah. to talk because like writing is like my hobby you know right. I'd love to like make it my day job but like it's just hard to do when yeah. you're there and when you made it to that level it's your job you know and so they they're looking at this differently and I think that yeah. that situation might actually cloud the reality about what what they're facing because yeah. this isn't like like what are the possibilities here oh my god this is cool my hobby could be like augmented like into the like just shot into the future it's like oh my god my job is going to be lost <laughs> it's going to be so, a lot of this man in the next like 10 to 15 years where there's like the dying gasp of an industry and the people that are embedded that have spent their entire lives developing the skill set necessary for that industry yeah it's going to be really hard for those people to see what when it's actually over you know? At the very end of that little clip I played, Kara Swisher says, I don't see what leverage writers have in this situation. Right. I think that she's totally right. Again, going back to my dream scenario, I think that if writers were well known and if like people mm. went to see movies mm. because of the sure. name on yeah. the, they on were the screen the who wrote the yeah. thing, um, that would be their leverage. That yep. would, and that would be huge. But they don't have that. You, you know, I so like literally what either. is their leverage? There are a ton of people who could, could fill those shoes who yeah. would do that job for less money. Me. Oh, you know? yeah. I, do you know how much money I've made? I'm not going to say, but like writing screenplays. I mean, I spend more <laughs> money on coffee each year. Let's just put it that, you know, <laughs> totally. I would I would do one of those jobs for like a fifth of the price of those people do. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Yeah, gonna... I mean. It's you know? gonna be sick, like the bitter irony of both of us, like coming of age as artists, right? As uh, our ability to do anything meaningful with it is eclipsed by artificial intelligence. <laughs> Same thing for me, where I'm like, as a musician, I'm I I think about that all the time, where I'm like, oh, music is pretty formulaic as it is, right? Mm -hmm. Like writing almost seems like a more abstract art form, and it's being kind of dominated by by chat GPT, like the earliest versions of chat GPT. I'm like, oh man, the music's gonna music is gonna fall quick and hard, I think, you know, and then it'll be I think one of the things though is like in a I'll kind of bookend on this so we can pivot to something else. But I'm hoping that as we move into an age where mass culture, mass produced culture is produced increasingly by machines, that we have a lot of niche micro, uh, microeconomic and like micro eco ecosystems of people that like handmade stuff because it's handmade, maybe not because it's the best and that we, we, we have that now. And I think I'm hoping that that continues to expand where the idea of artisanal whatever 
is something that's attractive to people just conceptually where they're like, I would like to support human beings to make this art for me because it was made by a human. And I think that maybe in 50 years will be something where you're like, in all of the shit that's in your house, you're like, look, this, a person made this. It's like the one thing, you know, and you're like, everyone's like, oh, wow, a person made that? It must have been really expensive. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I, I hope that's how it goes. Otherwise, I, mm. you know, I'm a big proponent of that. And, and I, I talk about that a lot. I have before ranted about that. Uh, I think that we also just need to be prepared for new art forms to arise. Movies have been around for maybe a hundred years. I mean, I mean, so yes, a hundred years, but like a hundred and change, you know, mm -hmm. not long. Um, and a hundred years ago, they weren't films like we know them to be today. You know, uh, the current iteration of films that we know and love, it's been around, I mean, it's barely been around at all, you know? 20 so, years. And just, years. and that was a tech, it was a, it was a technological shift that enabled that whole entire art form to come about. Yeah. Gonna happen again and again and again and again. Like there will, like, it's not like humans are going to stop being creative just because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, robots can do the same thing. Uh, but yeah, I think that like, you know, this is just ultimately what my pitch and it always is that like, I think we just need to be lean into being excited rather than scared of this stuff. Because if you're scared of it, I don't know, it's just lame. You're, you're like, going to get steamrolled. There are just so many parallels back in history. What you, you were scared of the printing press. Yeah. I mean, like, like looking back, that's so pathetic. And it's same thing here. If you're scared of chat GPT because you're a Hollywood screenwriter, 20 years from now, that will be just pathetic to look back on and to be, have been that person, you know? So just don't, don't, don't be scared of it. Just be stoked. That's so, like, literally, that's the only thing you can do. <laughs> so are you, are you scared or stoked about, uh, about, uh, AI in politics? Let's talk about deep fakes. Deep fakes. Yeah. So I, before we started today, that one's a little you, scary on its yeah, face. Yeah. I sent you a clip uh, right. It was from The Office, and it was this hilarious, hilarious clip where uh, uh, Steve Carell, the Steve Carell character, um, his it's him, but his his face is uh, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis' mm -hmm. face is, is digitally imposed onto uh, Steve incredible. Carell. It's like super well done. Where really it is, well I mean, done. the head is like slightly too big or something. I don't know. It's like miles. He's got off, kind of like a his face is kind of stuck in like a like an eyes open kind of like stare a little bit too much. But like. I, I was like watching it on Twitter on like a small phone screen. So like it, it read as it normal, does. Oh, hundred you know? percent. Yeah. And the, I mean, everything about this, and it was the clip where Steve Carell, uh, apparently is wearing a woman's suit. And so everyone is like, why are you wearing a woman's suit? And he's like, this is not a woman's suit. And then like, it kind of like turns out, I guess it is. It, anyways, Ron DeSantis doing this skit effectively. There were these huge bins of clothes and everybody was rifling through them like crazy. And I grabbed one and it fit. Uh, everyone online, I mean, you know, Jonathan Haidt and, and all these people, they, they come out of the woodwork, woodwork, they share this clip, and they're all like, oh my god, this is the end. Oh, we're so doomed for the next election cycle, like this sort of thing. Boomers, dude. I get it. There's a, lot to, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to talk about there. But I do think that we should just settle down and enjoy this clip. And if you're not looking at this and be like, dude, this is hilarious, you're a lunatic. You're you know, gone. You're gone. On, not in touch with reality and the real world. If you don't look at that and be like, dude, someone's funny. Mm -hmm. This is what the internet is mm -hmm. for, is mm -hmm. for these weirdos to be funny and to play around with things. This Hell is funny. Yeah. 
So I do think that there was a conversation we had about what could, uh, you know, fuck up the election, that sort of a thing. Maybe we can start here. Looking back on the 2020 election, didn't it come out that, yes, Russia interfered, yes, bots, yes to a lot of those things, yeah. but they've done some analyses of how that actually impacted the the outcomes of the election, and it was like, eh, marginal, like kind of not really. I think that, again, I think that I've said this before, but I, that's my prediction for the next election cycle. Yes, this will be here. Yeah. Yes, we'll, this will have an impact. Same. Yes, some politician will kind of sort of have his name kind of sort of dragged through the mud wrongly because of this technology, but it's going to be marginal. I think that the ultimate impact will be marginal. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I mean, I think we've unfortunately entered the vibe era of politics. I was listening yeah. to left, left, right and center yesterday. You, you ever listen to left, right and center? No. It's, an, it's an NPR podcast. It's pretty nice. It's like, uh, you know, somebody from the the center. I mean, it's NPR, so they lean left. But the that moderates a discussion between someone kind of on the far left and somebody not on the far right, but on the right right. Um, so it's nice. And uh, I think it was like Sarah Isger is the is the the right wing panelist. And she was saying this yet whenever the podcast came out, she was like, um, politics are kind of more vibe now where it's like, oh, I've I like that. There's all these mechanical aspects to politics that are kind of irrelevant in an age where people are like, I like the way this guy kind of I like the feel of this guy, because I think Donald Trump is an insane example of that, where I don't man, I'm just baffled, you know, like every He's been indicted in all of these criminal cases. He's been found guilty of sexual abuse. Like, like just recently, like in civil court, was found guilty not of rape but of sexual misconduct, basically. And I'm like, I was just having this conversation last night with somebody where I was like, you guys remember when Bill Clinton got his fucking dick sucked and like was was like persona non grata for a decade? You know what I mean? Like, what, did something that is not not chill, but was consensual, you know, ostensibly and like morally wrong, but not not particularly legally wrong. And now we've got somebody that's like a fucking basically hardened criminal. And people are like, yeah, but I just like this guy's fucking energy. I'm like, God damn, dude, like the Internet has fully permeated our our kind of cultural sensibilities. Because I think that is part of what the internet does is it kind of washes, you know, you're like, well, facts or how do you really know? And like deep fakes probably contribute to that kind of um, confusion where you're looking at the world and thinking like, well, there's nothing solid that I can just be like, that's true. And I'm going to I'm going to hinge my decision making on this set of facts or principles but as a person consistently shows up in media over and over and over again, you do get a sense of their vibe. You get a sense mm -hmm. of their energy. You get a sense like, oh, would I like hanging out with this person or would I not? And that's well, crazy. <clears throat> that's what we're that's how politics is like determined now. I, that to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think there. So I don't think it's going to matter. That's my, I, that was my yeah, take is that I don't I, think it's going to matter at all. I think people who are like, I love, I love fucking Ron DeSantis. This guy fucking hates the gays. And like, I don't hate the gays, but I kind of like that this guy does. You know what I'm just like, what the fuck, man? 
Yeah, I have, a, I have a smattering of opinions about a lot of these things. I'm trying to find something to push back on just kind of for fun. But sure. so, I mean, I mean, one one thing that there's a lot of videos being shared on Twitter right now um, about, you know, and, and it has been for years, uh, <clears throat> the extremes on both sides, right? The extreme on the left and the extreme on the right and mm-hmm. polarization. And it all comes mm-hmm. down to like, oh, social media is to blame this sort of a thing. Mm hmm. I do think that it's always good to step back, not blame the obvious thing and mm. look at broader trends. Mm. And cause there are a lot of broader trends that are happening that may have made some of this kind of inevitable technology aside. Um, and one of them is, is like the decline in religion that is making it so that totally. people in the Midwest are utterly freaked out for the, their identity. Um, yeah. and yes, I think technology has something to do with the decline in religion. It's also just kind of like inevitable as people become more educated, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I think that there, a, a <laughs> what lot are you of the, trying to say, Peter, <laughs> a lot of the, the people who are in love with things like Trump phenomenons, it's, it's that like cultural backlash of I'm scared of living in the godless society or whatever. Mm. And so I'm going to hold on to the guy who's like fighting for this strange culture that's dead, but I'm trying to pretend like it's not dead. There, there's some of that. I think there's a little bit of that. That's like animosity and fear driven that has nothing to do necessarily with online culture. But it's so bizarre because Joe Biden is probably a way more fastidious and faithful, like American style Christian than Donald Trump ever, well, ever you know was. You know, it's interesting. No one ever crazy? talks about this really, but like I spent, you know, a good portion of my childhood going to church every week and sometimes Same. two times a week. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the people who are a pastor figure very often, I've went to many churches, they're very flamboyant, very car salesman and those mm-hmm. are the ones who like make it and draw big churches. Right. Yep. And yeah. it's, it's not like the soft spoken guy who just kind of like, you know, plays by the rules. It's, it's, it's like the, the, devil's gonna get you a son that's that sort of a thing or or just like in general a car sales meeting pitch mm-hmm. if you were to to just like put joe biden in the church on you know stand him up and, and have him lead a congregation and then have trump do the same thing and i like for, you to turn to corinthians 29 6 <laughs> all right <laughs> let's just like play out this hypothetical where they each give the same sermons every week and uh you know to the same demographic of people Trump's church would have twice the people and it's just because of his presentation. And there's something about people who are drawn to religion. They really want that, that, well, I mean, one, it's entertaining, you you know, you don't want to go to church and be bored, you know, uh, especially in America, like the the American Protestant, they really want to be entertained when they go to church. It's it's just Mm -hmm. part of the whole like culture. I, I think that that's, that's like a large part of it. That, that explains that to me that like Trump is, is acting like the pastor. He's acting like probably the guy that they go to see every Sunday morning. Yeah. Let me break the, let me break the fourth wall, uh, of the church experience a little bit, which is that I think that most people think that going to church, people who go and people who don't go is a religious experience and it's meant to increase mm-hmm. your spiritual connection with like a, a, a higher being or a, or a source power or something like that. I'm, 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 you, you read a brave new world and you, you know, there's, um, a lot of these like dystopian futurist, uh, books have something built into the society that has to be built into every society. And it it makes sense, which is that there's a cyclical tension release, 
right? So it's like, I think most people go to church because it's a place where they can release the tension of the work week, the tension of the family experience. And when somebody is animated and big and has like a giant personality, it facilitates that more because I think people are honestly there to, in a lot of ways, let go of inhibition and to be free emotionally in a way that society and capitalism don't necessarily allow you to fully be. And I think that's why that's one of those things that I think you're right. I think Donald Trump would have twice as many people because when you get people fired up, they're more willing to let go of the kind of like feigned social propriety that we all have to kind of live under all the time. And um, maybe is one of the reasons why Donald Trump is a compelling figure because he gives people license to feel how they want to feel, maybe not how they know they should be feeling, you know, and like is giving voice to the kind of id of the American psyche, you know, and people who are like, well, like I was just saying, where they're like, well, I think gay people are fine, but, or I think, uh, you know, I think transgender people are fine, but man, I love it when this guy fucking talks shit about them. You know what I mean? It's like, well, <laughs> you, you might feel that way too then, and that might be something that you need to kind of take a look at. But it's, it, yeah, there's an activation that I think those types of characters are looking to perform for people, and it's effective. You know, one thing that's very interesting to me, uh, then maybe we're going to wrap this, this segment up. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, the far right and the far left are definitely a problem. Oh, yeah. Equally, I think Equally. I think that the, the, the far right is is kind of scarier because they're knee jerk quicker to like try to make things legislation and they do effectively sure. control the Supreme Court and yeah. they're they can like make things hell in Congress in a way that mm-hmm. the, the far left kind of typically doesn't. Right. Just like they're they're so much better at strategizing, it feels like. But yeah. both of them are, are a problem. Um, mm-hmm. People on the right the mainstream figures on the right in politics are kind of like super willing to go along with the, the fringes of their party Yeah. up to this moment. Same with the left but, though. Well, this is my, this is my, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think this is, this is, this is my read on the situation mm-hmm. up until now, the big figureheads on the left really don't, I think, go really off the deep end, like way off the deep end on uh, the culture wars things but i mean like mm-hmm. elizabeth warren okay. did and kind of kamala harris kind of does but it's 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 those people who don't like really you know make that much of a difference uh and also like the the quote-unquote like like wokeness like tank tank their campaigns you know back in, in 2020 right. um whereas joe biden like didn't do the wokeness like bernie didn't do any right. wokeness stuff any like right. that far lefty wokeness stuff that people complain right. about um now this is going to be really interesting if in this race Biden does because there are signs that he's leaning into more like far lefty culture war stuff just sure. to spite what's happening on on the far right because it's so loud right now right. that yeah. he feels like he has to respond to that the only way for him to respond is kind of like to to parrot far left talking points that's like my big worry is 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 mm. I feel like if um it just like 
so many people like normies are just like turned off from everybody because all all the big ticket names because they're both just doing extreme shit kind of despite right. each other. They probably neither of them believe anything they're saying and let, let, they're just being cynical about the whole thing. But they have, I, I don't know that that worries me a lot. Cause I do not want Joe Biden or whoever is a tip democratic ticket figurehead. I don't want them to become uh, anti Ron DeSantis in the sense that they just start parroting super far left talking points. That that's an ultimate, like we failed, you know, that's like our, our political culture failed. If, if we have only like two extremes taking over the, the, the podium, um, we need someone who's kind of like, at least, at least making people in the center still kind of comfortable. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the left ends up controlling levers of culture in a, in a, in a way that's analog to how the right controls levers in politics. And there, there is like a, I think there's a sense um, I think there's like a sense politically that like people who have extreme voices on the left represent a larger slice of the left demographic than they actually do. I don't think that's true. I think most people that are generally liberally thinking are closer to feeling like like Republican light than they are to mm-hmm. feeling like extremist, like left, like liberals. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think it was Katie Herzog on Blockchain Reported. I, recently was, was joking about how, uh, she could just see Joe Biden having, um, like a, uh, like a, a very young, um, like a teenage drag queen, like opening up his performances, that sort of thing. And she's like, Oh yeah, it's definitely going in that direction. Fuck yeah. Oh my God. I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case. I so hope it is. <laughs> That'd be rad. Okay. So what's, what's worse, Devin? Um, Oh uh, God. Joe I... Biden having a teenage drag queen open up his performances or, or, uh, having, I'm not sure what's the parallel here. Uh, having Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse deep, having deep fakes. Re- reading, reading the, I have a dream speech. Oh, there's a, oh, there's a, there's a good Somebody parallel. Somebody toss that into fucking, uh, into an AI, into an AI generator. I was, I was trying to have a, uh, like a, yeah. A, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to have a, a parallel that drawn with uh, like technology and deep fakes. Uh, okay, well, I mean, so what 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 is worse? Like the doomsday scenario, doomsday, quote unquote, with with like deep fakes ruining the election cycle or mm-hmm. the extremes ruining the election cycle? That's the question I was trying to tease out here. Do you do you like what what's worse? But given that both are going to be train wrecks and both are probably going to happen, what do you think is more corrosive to society? Just extremist politics in general. Yeah, I mean, deep fakes, like, it's entertaining, at least, yeah. right? I'm less scared about the deep fakes, man. <laughs> you know? I got to tell you, I'm less scared about the deep fakes than I am yeah. the extremes taking over the, yeah. Yeah, if you're laughing, you're already halfway to being reasonable. You know what I mean? Like, if it's if it, if it's, if it's it's crafted well enough that it's going to make you laugh, you're, you're already kind of far away from, extremism is serious. There's no jokes yeah, in extremism. Nobody's fucking laughing at the extreme edges. They're way too fucking serious. And if you make a joke about them, it makes them even angrier, which is crazy. I mean, anything that's entertaining is bringing you closer to the center because it's illuminating something that has a fundamental tension built into it. And it's illuminating that tension for you, Mm. you know, and like the laughter is the acknowledgement of that, of the absurdity of the tension, you know, and like, yeah, like people on the extreme left and the extreme right can just fuck all the way off, man. Like, 
it's got to be who knows i don't know maybe we're coming closer to like an equal or an equilibrium as a society where we're we're going to rely less on social media and media in general to inform our decision making process maybe it's not a terrible thing that people are going off vibe you know I, to me it's kind of depressing because it like i'd love to see politics the thing that just like the thing that controls discourse in this country and controls the laws that are being made around people's lives, it would be nice if it was logical and reasonable. But we're not really logical and reasonable as like a species. So I don't know, man. It just it does just it, the thing. My 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 final point about this, I think, is that it leaves when we go into an era where entertainment is the thing that is the most valuable about the political experience, we leave room for a Hitler. You know, and Donald Trump is no yeah. Hitler, and neither is Ron DeSantis. They're just not charismatic enough. But, and, you know, Donald Trump is really charismatic, but Hitler was like kind of next level, was like Charlie Chaplin level charismatic, well, more I mean, so even. Germany was like hurting, like truly hurting. Back. Yeah, America yeah, yeah. Is in a actually desperate. doing pretty oh, we're well. We're killing it. Yeah. 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 So There's we don't people... really have a reason to elect someone extreme at all. That's you know, so we just got to kind of keep going as just we're going in. Like, guys. Just stay go the course. With, go with Sleepy Joe. We're fighting, <laughs> we're fighting for the soul of America. Come on, uh, guys. Come on, guys. Well, I have uh, I have one last. Come on, give me a one to ten on my Joe Biden. I've been I've been trotting this out for three episodes now, man. I'm 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 in the coal mines of these impressions. <laughs> it's it's pretty good. You, is you it know, growing? You know, it's very funny. Is it when growing? You, uh, Getting better. When, when you when you, <laughs> it is, and when you when you do your Joe Biden, I am kind of like. Oh, because I, I forget this. I'm like, oh, Joe Biden, he's kind of lovable. You know, like he's when you do so that impression, lovable. I'm like, oh, he is kind of lovable. <laughs> I kind of forget because I, I have like this knee jerk. I hate all politicians. But like when you do that, I'm like, oh, it's kind of lovable. You know, there's nothing wrong nice. with the guy. The thing that frustrates me the most, the most about like the political climate that we're in right now with where it's like Trump versus Biden mm -hmm. is like, I feel like the Republican argument against Joe Biden is like, he's a pussy, you know, or something yeah. like that. Or like, he's yeah. like weak and ineffectual. And I'm just like, what like the dudes he's doing great like he hasn't yeah he's he hasn't, done so much way he's beyond gotten expectations, so dude. much done first of all yeah. and like nothing that i don't even think like a fastidiously right-wing person would be able to be like outraged about like there's hella manufactured outrage the the only thing that i can look at is the pulling out of of iraq that was rough afghanistan Af i'm sorry afghanistan that was rough that was rough. That'll that'll be a little bit of like a, a you know a little bit of soot on his legacy. But like that's but it. everybody wanted him to. Everybody yeah. wanted him to. And it, it was, was gonna it was going be, yeah. to be a shit show. And, and it's that. like yeah. and and also what what I love has been borne out over the last couple of years. Everybody was like, dude, we left the Taliban with all this military equipment, and then like cue blooper reel of like fucking Taliban dudes like crashing Black Hawk helicopters and fucking like running out of gas and like AMRAPs and shit. I'm like, yeah, there's nothing, nothing to be too worried about here, guys. <laughs> well, I, have, I guess I have, I have one more note here just because yeah. it's, uh, if I don't say it now, I'm never, I never will. Uh, I took a week off Twitter. <clears throat> okay. And because I was just curious, how, I was just sick of it and a lot of things. I was curious, like, if I was going to be dying to get back on to, like, jump back into the whole, like, not that I post a lot or whatever, but it's it's a thing that I scroll through pretty regularly. T one week, one week off, 
And it's like, in a sense, I'm like cured. I just don't find it enjoyable. I don't, I'm sick of seeing the same names that you see every time you hop on. And everyone just seems like now that I've just stepped away just a teeny bit, everyone is just like LARPing being a clever Twitter person. That was that was just fascinating to me because I didn't expect that. And it's hopeful for me, but also like the the world that we mm-hmm. think that social media is such a problem. We didn't talk about this, but like the uh, there was a big report this week about how social media is is again like so bad for young brains and this sort of thing in the way that we didn't even know and all this yeah. shit. Uh, man, it's like not that hard to kind of like unaddict yourself from based on my experience you know it's like all you need is just maybe cold turkey for a week guys if you're out there and you're like you're you're glued to your phone and or you're worried about your kids being too glued just just institute a week break and i think it's actually kind of like social media kind of sucks like i kind of like it but it also kind of sucks and you realize that with just a you know based on my experience again just like a little break and you're like whoa maybe this is just like easier to set down than i ever 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 thought so anyway those are my two cents on on a uh, social media my two cents on that is that my personal personal ethic now around social media is that uh, it's not a vehicle for creative expression anymore. It's a marketing tool. Yep. That's like exactly plain and it, simple. Dude. And yeah. it's like and for that's us, the only it's reason useful. why I use Twitter too is like yeah. I write an article, I need some place to post it. That's the only 100%. thing I, I will like regularly use it for now. And that is a healthy relationship to it because as a creative professional, like you need marketing tools and it's a great marketing tool. Instagram, Facebook, and and Twitter are great marketing tools. They're too exploitative of your personal data and your creativity to actually use them as like a creative outlet. So my final, okay, last, last, uh, my last point, my last, uh, my last little fucking, uh, free throw as the buzzer goes, um, hilarious the ron desantis elon musk twitter meltdown i i i can't stand elon musk anymore i can't believe i ever liked the guy he seems like a total dipshit and kind of a dweeb and like fuck that guy like he's just too like he's too he's too too much of a contrarian where he's like oh everybody hates it when i do this and it's just like fuck off dude go back in the shadows and keep developing dope technology other final thing is the billionaire that's harvesting his son's blood. So like we have we have reached that. we have reached the pinnacle of insane culture now where this is not like a conspiracy theory that like powerful people are like using blood boys. This is a fucking news article where this guy is like fully on social media being like so I use my son as a blood boy, and everybody's like, that's so wild. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> this is fucking insane, guys. <laughs> like, like, wake up, sheeple. <laughs> you know, like, also, where do I get a blood boy? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but good, good time. It's going to be a lot of fun up ahead. Hey, that's right. uh, as always, thanks, Devin. We'll talk soon. All right, later, buddy.